The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I absolutely love that I have to raise this thing. I, I know it sounds weird, but being short most of my life, to be able to raise that up, I'm like, yeah, look at me. I've grown a little bit. Amen. How are you doing this morning, Valley Metro? I can tell you that the worship was amazing. The announcements were amazing. I'm going to tell you, when Brother Chris got up here, I was ready to start jumping up and down for two things. First of all, just his love for the Great Commission. And second, because he said y'all more than I do several times in a row. I was like, yeah, Texas in the house. Amen. You guys remember, I'm a crowd participation preacher, right? The more you participate, the faster this thing goes. Right? Amen? Come on, there it is right there. I want you to turn with me this morning to John chapter 8. This morning the message is, is going to be a little bit different. Um, sometimes the best messages come from what you're going through at that moment. You know what I mean? What God is showing you as you're going through this whirlwind called life, and it, and it enables you to walk out the Great Commission in a way that you never thought you could. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes we get up here and we could talk about all the various stories throughout Scripture, but when the Scripture comes alive in our own heart and lives and we see it, then that takes on a whole new meaning. So it's good to be with you guys this morning. I'm so grateful. I love, I love Pastor Brian. I, again, the other morning, just randomly, I got invited to a, to a prayer meeting Tuesday for all the Valley pastors. And all of a sudden, I, you know, in the middle of the prayer meeting, I'm sitting there and we're praying and then I hear a very familiar voice that wasn't there when we started praying. It was Pastor Brian. He had snuck in, man, and started praying. It was amazing. It was good to see him. You got a pastor that loves prayer. No, come on. That was a good time to say amen. There you go. You have a pastor that is passionate about prayer and the lost. You don't find that too often. You have a, a pastor and a lot, of, a lot of great pastors out there but usually they're, they're really, really fervent about one thing that the Lord just really drives into them. You have a pastor that loves prayer, worship, and the lost. Can I get an amen? That's good. How about a round of applause for your pastor? Amen? It, it was so funny. He made me laugh this morning he, with the whole thing with the wedding. <laughs> He said, brother, I'm leaving Friday. I'm going to do a wedding. I'm going to be out of town. And then lo and behold, he finds out after he is suited up and on the way, the wedding's today. So <laughs> that, that, that's about right. So anyway, I just want to share with you a little bit about my week so far, if that's okay. I've been in LA for about a week. I like to preach the word, amen, but I also like to share stories and, all, and, and stuff like that. Will that work for you guys? So this week has been... An amazing week. It really has. I get here and I'm away from my family on Father's Day, which is really strange, but it's okay because my family took me out Friday night and my little girl looks at me and I said, I'm so sorry that I'm not going to be with you guys on Father's Day. And she goes, Dad, every day's Father's Day for you. And I go, What? That's so sweet. So they took me out to eat that Friday night and we spent some great time together Saturday and then I flew out here. Uh, Saturday evening. I've been staying with Danny and Rita. Everybody know Danny and Rita over here? And let me tell you, staying with Danny and Rita is life on mission. You know what I mean? I love it. It's like, hey, you want to go to Target? Yeah, let's go to Target. You get to Target, you're there like two hours because you're like finding people to pray for. I mean, it's, it's an adventure. So we went out uh, Tuesday night. We went out with a, with a, what's the name of that ministry? Camino, we went out with Camino and went out to love on the broken and the homeless. Let me tell you, there's enough of them in LA, right? Come on. To be able to do that as a lifestyle every day. So we went out that evening. It was just intentional about being the hands and feet of Jesus like my brother was talking about just a minute ago. And it was absolutely amazing, guys. We had people rededicating their lives. We had people that were, that were almost, we had one guy, bless his heart, he was right there to the point where he was ready to get off the street and go. But as, as, as what happens more often than not, you know, the, the, that particular life can pull us into where it's addiction or anything else, no matter what you're addicted to, 
can pull you away from where Jesus actually wants to take you. Have many of you have ever been there or seen that? You know what I mean? It's not depressing. He still heard the word. And the word, when the word goes forward, the kingdom is seed form. So you're blasting the, the, the kingdom out there with seeds. And Isaiah 55, 11 says what? His word will not return void. So scripture went out. The seed was put in. And whether he had an immediate change or not, we don't know. We don't know what happens. I've had people, guys, that have told me that I actually was walking away going, man, I thought that was going to go a different way. And then to find out that the next day, can I, I want to share one story with you. We went to a big prison in Abilene, Texas. Okay, The way that this whole thing started off was absolutely ridiculous. We had went out to do a recon on this, on this specific prison. And when we walked into the door, we're walking around, and they've got rules there. You can't just go free flow with like Holy Spirit wherever you want in the prison. you got to follow the chaplain and the guards, right? So we stumble upon this one guy that's leaning on the wall, and my friend gets a word of knowledge for this guy. Listen, it wasn't the most accurate word of knowledge. It wasn't like he walked up, Pastor B, and said, Hey man, you got something going on with your stomach, it wakes you up every morning at 2.37, you get up and you have a glass of milk and you take an ibuprofen and you go back to bed, but you still wake up feeling nauseous. No, it wasn't nothing like that. It was like, hey man, I feel like you got a tummy ache. I feel like there's something wrong with your stomach. And the guy looks at him and he goes, well, yeah. So he, he, he didn't pray this big exuberant prayer, you know, because we have a time thing when you're in the prisons. He just said, be healed in Jesus' name and walks off. Little did we know, we didn't even have time to share the gospel because of the time delay there. And we're thinking, God will do it with seed form. God will do it. The next day, that man went to his chaplain that was there, and he said, i got to tell you something. Actually, it was two days later. He said, after those guys prayed for me, he said, I went to the, 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 the doctor that's there, and they did MRIs and scans on me. The guy we didn't know was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, in his abdomen and up into his pleural cavity, which is his chest cavity, there was no trace of cancer at all. <laughs> Completely healed. So then you know what happens? This guy goes to his chaplain and he's like, I got to know more about this Jesus. So the guy gives his heart to Jesus and then becomes a Peter in the prison. And for the next two weeks while we're prepping to go out there, he's running around that prison telling everyone the goodness of Jesus and that you need to be there. We get there the morning of the prison. It's the day before Easter. And we get there, and, and the guy says, hey, normally we have about 300 inmates because it's choice. They're not made to go. He says, normally we have about 300 inmates that come to this thing. Uh, and, and what we were doing is we had a big burger thing out there. We were feeding them the whole nine yards, right? We had 1,400 people show up to this thing. Guys, that's, that's a sign and a wonder all in itself. 1,400 people got up and they came out into the yard. They got fed, and then they came into the yard. And what we're going to talk about today, you're going to see that this is the fruit of it. As they were coming out the door and coming out into the yard, we began to cheer and clap for them and say how honored we were to be there with them. These men began to weep because some of them hadn't seen anyone in eight months. Some of them haven't seen the light of day in four months because they had been in solitary confinement. But yet, through the word of this, the simple word of knowledge, and this guy getting born again and radically healed and running around the prison, that morning, over 267 men gave their heart to Jesus Christ. We baptized 91 of them, and hundreds were healed of various illnesses. Hundreds were healed. You never know the implications of the simple seed that you're sowing and what's going to happen. The guy said, do you have a tummy ache? And it was the seed that the fruit of that was 267 salvations. Isn't that amazing? I'm still blown away by that. And I'm going to tell you another story of something that happened in Israel not long ago. I don't know if I told that the last time I was here, but guess what? If I did, you're going to hear it again today. Amen. Let's look at John chapter 8 this morning. And I want to do something crazy. I know this may not be the norm. But I want to, because I've been reading Nehemiah a whole lot, I want us all to stand as we read God's Word. Can we do that? Is that okay? Is that the norm here, Pastor, or no? Or We're going to do it anyway. Hallelujah. He gave me the mic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> John chapter 8. 
This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. A lot of us have heard it. It says, they went each other to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came into the temple and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in his midst, he said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commands to stone such a woman. So what do you say? I love that. I love that. They're trying to test him right there. This they say to test him, and they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. Bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And when they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. But once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elder ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the mercy that You pour out day in and day out on our lives. We're so grateful of the of the, the things that we learned out of Scripture. You yourself say, go and learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So this morning, Lord, we ask that You pour out Your mercy and that You also pour out Your Word on our hearts and make our hearts like a sponge and enlarge it so we can soak up what You have to tell us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You guys can sit down now. That was crazy. We stood up for God's Word out of reverence for Him. Come on. Amen. Oh, it's going to be a long morning if we don't start amening up in this place. I'm just, I'm just telling you right now. You know, the thing about this story that gets me, I love this story. This used to be my least favorite story that I would read because I was like, oh, that's so harsh. But the more that I read this, the more I see the mercy of Jesus Christ come alive. In this story, let's put ourselves in the storyline. Sometimes when we read Scripture, it seems so far away and so distant. We actually need to put ourselves, use our imaginations, and put ourselves right there with it. Can you journey with me in this movie today as we're looking at this woman who is brought forth and thrown on the ground in front of Jesus by members of the Sanhedrin, and they're trying to test Him? Most people don't know. When they said this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Most people don't know that if Jesus would have said, then she needs to be stoned, he would have been breaking Roman law. But if he said, no, let's stone her. I'm sorry. If, if, if he would have said, let's stone her, he would have been accepting Mosaic law, but breaking Roman law. Or vice versa, the other way around. Either way, it was a trap. He was stuck there. There was no way around it. So he did something that I love. And listen, out of this whole passage right here, beloved, by the way, I'm not yelling at you guys. You know I'm just real passionate, right? In this whole passage right here, this is the only thing they get. Books and theological debates have happened over one thing. Guess what it is? What was he drawing in the dirt? What was he drawing in the dirt? Like they don't get the rest of the story. You know, this woman, they don't see the mercy that Jesus was doing. Do you know what I think he was doing? Can I just be transparent with you guys? I think he was doodling. I don't think, I think he was just sitting there doing that, buying his time because he, he knew the trap they were trying to put him in. And then he does the unthinkable. Then he stands up and then he says, hey, let's do it this way. The one of you that has no sin, you cast the first stone. And then he goes right back down and starts doodling again. Can you imagine it? You're standing there. You're there. All of a sudden, I imagine rocks started hitting the ground and people started turning away. Because it's believed by a lot of theologians that some of the elders that it was referring to when it said that the first ones, the elders that turned away and left, had actually been with that woman. So they dropped that stone real quick and got out of Dodge. Make sense? And so Jesus turns and He looks at her. And He says, where are your accusers now? At the moment, at that moment, she deserved justice. She did. She had broken numerous laws. The Mosaic Law, she had actually really even broke Roman law at that time. So she deserved justice. 
This is where Hebrews 12.24 comes into effect. It says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why? Because the blood of Jesus cries out, mercy, mercy, mercy. And the blood of Abel cried out for justice. Jesus' blood, the covenantial mercy that Jesus had, overtook the whole situation. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you guys are super spiritual and you've never done anything wrong whatsoever in your life. But I need God's mercy. I needed His grace, and I, need, I still need His grace. And I need His mercy every day, day in, day out. I'm so thankful for it. I pray every morning, thank you that your mercies are renewed every day. Because if without His mercy, how many of us would actually be in this building right now? Matthew chapter 9, verse 3. The only thing that Jesus ever said, you need to go and learn this. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Matthew 12, 7, he says the same thing. How many of you know whenever Jesus repeats something, it's, it, it's on purpose? It's not, it's not a mistype in the Bible. When he repeats something, it's usually on purpose. And he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Oh, that when we went in the streets, or we went home to our neighbors, or we went to the grocery store, or when we went to the gas station, or when we're at our job, oh, that we could see people through the lens of the blood of Jesus. That was a good point to say amen to right there. What if we could see them, see the mercy and not justice? Oh, you know who I'm talking about, that coworker that ticks you off every day. Don't act like you're super spiritual. you got one of them. Everybody's got one of those. That ticks you off every day. What if you've seen them through the blood of Jesus and actually seen their worth, seen their value, seen who they were, seen the way that the Father feels about them, would it change your heart towards them? Absolutely. What if we've seen the homeless? I know, listen guys, the homeless are everywhere. What if we've seen the homeless through the blood of Jesus? And when we went up to them to preach the gospel to them, it wasn't just the love of Jesus that we were sharing, but it was actually their created value and their worth. We were beginning to give them the simple gospel, but we were also telling them how Jesus seen them. That it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross that day. That it was mercy and love for us that kept him on the cross that day. Does that make sense to you? Listen, this Jesus, the merciful, Jesus, the God of mercy, Jesus, the Lord of mercy, has done so many things in my life right now. You guys heard my testimony the last time I was here. I shouldn't be here. I should have died of cancer. And Jesus the merciful came into, the, came into that doctor's office that day and removed that cancer from me. Jesus the merciful walks into the prison and removes cancer from one guy so that hundreds can be saved. Jesus the merciful walks into the church building right now, this morning, at this minute, and is pouring out eternal mercy on us so that your healing so that your salvation, so that your deliverance that's already been paid for could happen today at this moment. I may be a little excited. Can you tell? I mean, all week long, we have been around some amazing things. We've seen a simple going out to eat dinner at Santa Monica the other night. We've seen the power of God come on that pier. We've seen young men and women and words of knowledge go forth, and these guys are like, well, how do you even know that type of stuff? And their whole lives completely laid out before them and changed by the word of the Lord. Just going to dinner. I'm telling you, I think God wants to change our mindset this morning. It's not going to be that I'm going to the grocery store and while I'm there, maybe I'll preach a little bit. It's going to be I'm going to see souls saved and while I'm there, I'll pick up some stuff at the store. Do you see the switch? Do you see how that whole mindset can be transformed and turned around? You are a sign and a wonder. Isaiah 8.18 says you are a sign and a wonder. A walking sign and a wonder. How many of you said amen a minute ago when I said it's by the grace of God that you're here? Raise your hands. I want to see them. All right. How many of you have ever had a serious illness? Raise your hands. How many of you have ever known someone who's had a serious illness? How many of you have ever been in trouble with the law? Just be honest. It's by the grace of God you're here this morning. It's by the mercy of God that you're here this morning. You've walked out things that other people haven't. 
And it's okay that some of you raised your hands to one thing and some of you raised your hands to another because you can be all things to all people. There are people that I will be able to reach on the streets because of my testimony and my background, and there's people that I won't be able to, but Chris might be able to. Danny might be able to because you've went through what you have went through for a reason, and that time is now. Come on, I'm talking to some people this morning. I'm not playing. I wish somebody would start saying amen in here because... I'm telling you, you're going to leave this place changed and your mindset is going to be completely shifted from, from a justice mentality to a, to a mentality of mercy and grace. I had a dream and a vision not long ago. Can I share that? You guys believe in dreams and visions, right? So in this dream, I was sitting uh, in, a, in a mega church that I know of that I've been to in New York City. And in this mega church, I'm not speaking. I'm off to the corner like this so I can see everything that's taking place. So I'm off to the corner and I'm watching this and then I hear the Holy Spirit say, watch. And a wind comes running through that place. I'm talking about the wind of the Holy Spirit this morning. A wind comes flowing through there. People begin to fall over and repent and cry and worship Him. People begin to to laugh hysterically because they've lived a life of depression and the Lord is giving them 180 degrees opposite of what they've been going through. People were beginning to be touched with an encounter from God. And then I was in a different church. And then I was in a different church. And then I was in a different church. It happened eight times. Some of the churches I recognized, some of the churches I did not recognize. And all of a sudden, I'm standing in downtown Manhattan. Has anybody ever been to Manhattan in here? Pretty intense, right? I'm standing in downtown Manhattan. And all of a sudden, the, the, the walls began to shake on the buildings. And that same spirit that sometimes it seems like we have trapped inside those four walls began to bust out of those four walls. And it began to flow through the streets. And as it flowed through the streets that morning, people were having encounters with the Savior. People were having encounters with the one name that's above every name, with the name of Jesus. I'm talking church outside the four walls like you guys are walking out right now. And, and all of a sudden, I seen like this image of different skylines. And one of them was L.A., where he was about to pour himself out like he's never poured it out before. And I believe he is going to use mercy. Do you know why? Because I heard him say, how many of you know the abortion things that's been going on here lately all over the all over the states, right? It's kind of a serious thing, guys. If you don't know about it, you should research it and, and give you a prayer point of how to pray. So he said, because of the babies, I should pour out justice. But I choose to relent and pour out historic mercy and revival into places. You want to see the ending of abortion, beloved? Preach the gospel message. You want to see the ending of human trafficking? Preach the gospel message. You want to see the ending of the pornography thing that has plagued the whole West Coast? Preach the gospel message. It's the answer to everything. When people understand Jesus, they understand why He came, and they understand the simplicity behind the gospel, then all of a sudden their eyes are open like they've never been open before. Is any of this making sense? I got some people looking at me like, amen, and I got some people looking at me like, what's he talking about? You know, when I was talking a minute ago about some things that I've been going through here lately, is it okay to share that? Is that all right? Um, I'm going to be, I've learned the hard way there's a difference between transparency and vulnerability. There is, there's a a difference. So, but I'm going to be very transparent and very vulnerable because the last time I was here, I don't know if you guys remember, I said I felt like I would be a friend of this house. So if it's okay, I want to treat you like family and just share with you what's been going on. So I, I left LA last time. And I went home, and I was on my way to do a, a series of meetings up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, we, were getting, we were having a conference, the first conference that I ever hosted. And we were having a conference in Dallas, and then the next weekend we were leaving out. And my media guy that has been with me for a long time, Danny and them know him, he was here in Love LA, he helped with Love LA and different things like that. He comes to me, there's, a, there's an organization or a school in, uh, in Texas called Christ for the Nations Institute. And uh, they had asked me, they said, do you have any leaders that can go with us to the Mardi Gras outreach to kind of help out? And Mark was a twofer because he was both a messenger of the gospel and a media guy, and they needed both. So he goes to this thing, and I find out on the way to Minneapolis, uh, uh, long story short, 
uh, my dear, dear friend uh, passed away when he went to Mardi Gras. Uh, that it was, he gets there, craziest thing they'd ever seen. He comes up with a fever, goes into cardiac arrest. He's on a, he's on a ventilator, passes away there. So I'm thinking to myself, maybe I need to turn around and head back to, head back and go back. Cause we were going to pray for the dead to be raised. I mean, this is my buddy here, right? This is my friend. This is not just someone that I've discipled and I've trained. This is somebody that I've done life with and they become community. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're picking up what I'm spilling here, right? So we, we prayed about it. The Lord said no. Um, so we went ahead and went on to this meetings up in Minneapolis. Now listen, the meetings in Minneapolis was like ridiculous. It was like the stuff I signed up for. It was like I went to pray and I said, who needs salvation? And people would run to the altars. I'm talking, there was no just as I... I mean, they were running. They wanted Jesus. They got down front and they were falling and began to weep and cry. And I'm sitting there in the back of my mind going, yeah, come on. That's what I'm talking about. And then people that were healed. I mean, people coming out of wheelchairs, coming off the walkers, just crazy stuff. I remember screaming out, all of you demons, bring your people to the front. Crazy, I know, it sounds so weird. But people stood up and started manifesting, and they come down and begin to just fall out, and the Lord was delivering them. I never laid a hand on them. The weirdest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I'm over there going, yeah, go team Jesus. This is awesome. We go to leave. We wind up being there like four days. We go to leave. We're driving back. I drove all the way up there because well, I took a whole bunch of guys with me, some of my interns. So we're driving from Minneapolis all the way back to Dallas. So I stopped in KC because of my spiritual mom and dad and them. They live in Kansas City. And we were just going to say hello to them and grab a bite to eat. So I pull in, grab a bite to eat at my favorite Chinese restaurant. Come out, start the car. Wait a minute, what? My alternator went out in my car. So I'm like, okay. No problem. I'm up here with spiritual mom and dad. I'll just spend the night here. We'll put the car in the shop and get it fixed. Did that. 11.30 that night. My, man, you can hear a pin drop in here right now. Everybody's really, this is good. Yes. Hang, hang on that cliff. Get ready. So my, my daughter calls me about 11-something that night, and she says, she says, Dad, Mom's got a real bad rash. And I said, well, tell her to put a cream on it, man. And, 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 and she goes, no, 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 Dad, it's like bad. I go, okay, well, when I get back tomorrow, I'll take her to the doctor's office. And she goes, Dad, my, my daughter's like six and be 17 years old. And she goes, no, it's bad. And I'm like, okay, we'll put Mom on the phone. And I said, hey, babe, what's going on? She goes, I don't know. I have to switch laundry detergent or something, but I'm having like an allergic reaction here on my legs. I said, is it affecting your breathing or any of that stuff? And she's like, no, 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 no. It's just a bad rash. I said, well, go ahead and just go to the emergency room. They're going to give you a shot. They're going to give you a cream. That's what they're going to do. And she says, okay. So about an hour and a half later, my phone goes off. When they had gotten there, they gave my wife the wrong medicine. They gave her 10 times the recommended dose, and they sent her into cardiac arrest. And they had to rush her to a cardiac center on the other side of Dallas. Mind you, I'm 580 miles away from my bride. Does that make sense to you guys? Like, I can't get there, right? And uh, so I'm just praying like crazy, like crazy. Get up the next morning, car's fixed, we head back, get all the way down there. The, the guys just dropped me off at the hospital and took my van on home. And I'm sitting there with my, with my wife, and I'm looking at her, and I'm just praying and praying and praying. But then what, what tried to set into me was guilt and shame. Like, if you hadn't have been gone, would this have happened? It's okay to talk about stuff like this. We're in church, right? We can talk about the real stuff. So I'm thinking, she, you know, she, she comes out of it. The doctor comes in there. They're going to release her. So we get up. We're released. We're, we're about to leave the hospital. And my 18-year-old son calls me, and he goes, Dad, I just cut my hand, like, really bad. I'm on my way to the emergency room. You can, you can like, almost see the bone. And I'm like what is going on here? So he goes to the emergency room. First I told him, don't go to the one your mom went to. So he goes to a different one and they sew him up real good. It's more of a, like an urgent care. I don't know if you guys have those out here. but So he goes and he gets sewed up real good and there, there's nothing wrong with him. Uh, they, they did an x-ray to make sure he didn't chip any bone or anything. But then he's driving back from getting his stitches. He calls me again, Dad. I think the motor just locked up in my car. 
I go, what do you mean? Sure enough, that's what it was. The motor had locked up in his car. I'm like, okay, this is getting weird. Get all the way home, get inside the house, get a call from my daughter's job. My daughter works at like a little uh, ice cream shop. They say, you need to get up here. Your daughter's having a seizure. She's never had a seizure before. So I walk in the door, and there's my daughter seizing. And I'm holding her. And now, mind you, I got faith, man. I've, seen, I've been healed of cancer. I've seen cancers fall off of people. I have seen the miraculous. So I grab my daughter, and the first thing I do is what? I begin, just like with my wife, begin to pray. And, 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 and she's not stopping. She just keeps seizing. And I'm like, what is going on here? So for the next eight days, she had 11 seizures. They still to this day don't know what happened. She's had every type of scan. She's had every type of x-ray. The only thing they said that they can contribute it to is stress. She is a 16-year-old girl who lives with dad and pays all of her bills. And her biggest stressful thing is like, what color am I getting my nails done this week? You know, so I'm like, what in the world is going on here? It gets better. You ready? So, I, I mean, I could have wrote a country song. My air, listen, I live in Texas, and my air conditioning unit goes out. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, Woo, we got to do something here. So we, immediately we go into prayer mode, like we got to get an air conditioner. I go in there, I'm doing dishes, trying to clean up the kitchen. The dishwasher goes out. So finally, I'm, I walk off and I go, I go, all right, Jesus, I feel really defeated. What is going on here? And to be honest with you, I started getting mad at God. Is that okay? Can we say that in here? He's a big God. He can take it. So I started getting mad at God. And I'm like, seriously? I mean, I've seen like all kinds of illnesses healed. I've seen all kinds of stuff that, that has been restored, but it's not happening here and now. Why? Why? Why is it not happening? And so I got into a place, again, you guys may be super spiritual. I got into a place where I wanted to go numb. I needed a break. Everything had gotten crazy. I don't watch TV, y'all. I don't. It's just not, 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 not that I'm casting stones to anyone that does. I just, my own personal convictions, I don't. We'll do movie night, like as a family. Uh, but most of the time in my house, we, we just play worship nonstop because it's hooked up to the internet, right? So, and don't get me wrong, if my kids watch TV, I, I don't freak out. Don't think he's legalistic and crazy and all that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, I know what Scripture says about your gates, about your eye gates and ear gates, and I want to make sure that whatever's going in is, is, is holy. Amen? So, but what I do is I sit down on the couch, I want to go numb, and I turn on Netflix, and I start binge-watching every show you can think of on this show because I wanted to leave reality. I was mad at God. I was upset. I'm like, why is my family not getting healed? Why is, why is my wife not getting healed? Why is all this happening? I've been obedient. I've done everything you told me to do. Why? And it's just, it, I'm just numb, so I'm watching. I kid you not, beloved, I had a pastor call me because I thought about quitting. I said, this is too much. I said, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back into the marketplace. So I had sent out like 10 resumes that morning. This has all happened in the last four months, guys. So I sent out resumes that morning. All of a sudden, my wife comes up to me. I'm binge watching Netflix, man. I'm like, eh. you guys know you Netflixers. You know who I'm talking about. I'm just binge watching it. And then my wife comes up. Now, my wife, who's had the heart attack, is consoling me. Because I was in an orphan pity party. And she comes up to me and she says, hey, we're about to go to the grocery store. Uh, you know, we'll give you a little time in case you want to have some Jesus time or you want to pray or something like that. Because she's already noticing that, that that's the first thing that cuts off when you get upset. Is your prayer time. So I'm like, okay. So she leaves. And I'm like, I'm done. I don't know what she's talking about. My phone rings. It's a pastor from Texas, and he goes, bro, I just feel like you're at a place where your, your heart is trying to convince you to quit. And I'm telling you, that's not the will of the Lord. And I said, I totally lied. I was a liar. I'm like, I'm good, man. I'm doing great. I hung phone up. About 20 minutes later, another pastor calls me. 
I'm lagging in. I'm totally good, guys. Hang the phone up. 20 minutes later, this happened four times. Finally, I threw my phone across the room and I went, would you stop it? And all of a sudden, my phone, all the way over there, it goes, boing. And I went, oh. And I sat there and I went, fine, I'm going to see what it was. And I picked it up and it said, alert, you have a new show you can watch on Netflix. And I'm like, oh, okay, awesome. I'm going to turn that on. So I turned it on and it was the extraordinary life of Billy Graham. And I'm sitting there because this movie, how many of you have seen that? Anybody seen that? Anybody watched it? It's different than any other Billy Graham movie. Because it starts talking about the suffering and the stuff that Billy Graham went through that nobody hears of. It's not the stuff in the news. Like, for example, the thing that got me the most was, uh, and, and I believe all of this was happening, I'll get to that in a minute, was God's mercy being poured out on my family to really emphasize the importance of family and community to me again. But at one of the parts of the movie, it says that Billy Graham would drive out to the end of the driveway and he would stop and he would look in the rearview mirror and his whole family was waving at him. And he would begin to weep and cry because he didn't know if he would see his family if the meetings would be three weeks or three months. So he began to weep and cry because he didn't, you know, he, he said, I, I just wish I had a little more time with them. I love the gospel. I'm passionate about the gospel. He, in many ways, Billy Graham's, his, his, his Macedonian call was different than anybody else because he was just like Paul when he said, I'm not coming to you as a learned man. I'm coming to you with one thing and one thing only that I know of, and that's Christ and him crucified. His message never changed. Billy Graham would always say, there's people that need to preach on marriage. There's people that need to do this, 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 and this. My message is Christ and him crucified. My message is the simple gospel. So he was going to go forward in that. Did anybody realize that when Billy Graham went to Moscow for the first time, that when he came back, there were, light, there were threats to his life? There were people that were calling him a communist? There were all kinds of things that began to happen. See, what happens when you go through something like that, beloved, is called a crushing. And a lot of people, they want the anointing, but they, they don't want to go through the crushing process that it takes to get the oil. And, and Jesus, when He crushes, this is what happens. Are you ready? The purities and the impurities start to come out. So in my own heart, what was the Lord exposing? Wounds that I had that I didn't know that I had. Sin that I had that I didn't know that I had. And He was like, i got to get to get to the oil, to get to where I need you to go. Everything's got to come out. All of it. So I was going through this thing that seems like, oh, this is such a drag. This is a horrible message. I feel so depressed. But in the end of it, I was closer to him than I've ever been before in my life. My wife comes back. I'm laying prostrate on the ground. Billy Graham movie is showing. I'm weeping and crying and rejoicing in the Lord because I started thinking about the things that had happened and not the things that didn't happen. So, praise God, my wife is alive. My wife didn't die in that hospital room. Praise God, my little girl has no more seizures. They are completely gone. I was, re I I was just sitting there caught up in everything that had happened to me, and oh me, and oh my, and, and, and I didn't stop to think of what God had actually done in this case right here. At that point, I probably deserved some sort of correction but he poured out mercy just like, listen guys, when it comes to biblical divorce, I, I'm going to go there for a minute. I know, I know, most people don't like talking about it. But do you know why that God granted the bill of divorce? Who knows? Who's my theologian? It was out of the hardness of man's heart. That's what scripture says, right? So what would happen in those days, and it still happens in Israel. Trust me, I've talked to a few people. What would happen in those days is because the bill of divorce was granted that if a young man went through the, the betrothal process with his wife and he would get his wife, because of the new bill of divorce, he could do whatever he wanted to do and then leave her. And then he would get another wife and do whatever he wanted to do and then leave her. And then do whatever he wanted to do and then leave her. You're starting to see a trend here. Somebody talk to me. This gives you a whole new perspective on John 4, the woman at the well, and on John 8, the woman caught in adultery. 
When, when, when he speaks to the woman at the well and he tells her, oh no, you've been married before. You've had how many husbands? And the one you live with now is not even your... How do we know? We tend to want to throw stones. We want to say justice. I'm, I'll be honest. Every time I read that story, I was like, that woman's in sin. How do we know it's not the man that's been in sin? We don't know the whole story there. So we already begin to want to throw stones and cast judgment and, and, and bring the justice narrative around. And Jesus says, go and learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy more than anything else. So Jesus did what? He had mercy in John 4. Jesus did what in John 8? He had mercy in John 8 because Jesus knew the whole story. We have to quit jumping to conclusions, especially when we're witnessing to people because we don't know what they're really going through. You know, I believe in a kind of a four, I think I spoke on this last time, I believe in like a four-tier thing. you got to love, listen, discern, and respond. Number one, if you're not out there loving, stop. That's right, I said it. If you're not out there showing the love of Christ or being the embodiment of His love, stop. Like, wait a minute. Go back to the secret place, encounter Him, encounter His love for you, and then be a conduit of that towards everyone else. And then listen to what they have to say. Nine times out of ten, we don't want to listen anymore. You have to listen to what they have to say. Sometimes I've had people where I've just went and sat down and they have sat there and they have told me their whole life story. And then at the very end, I'm not saying a word. They just go, man, I feel like I got something missing in my life. I feel like I need Jesus. I need Je How do I have Jesus? They evangelize themselves. I may have told you guys that one story once. I mean, we were sitting with a guy in San Francisco and we're talking to him and we're just letting him Talk about his life. And all of a sudden, he starts going, man, I feel like I got a void, like I got an emptiness. What's up with you guys? You guys are different. You guys are different than anybody I've ever seen before. Oh, you guys are probably Christians. Maybe that's what I need. I need Jesus. Can you show me how to receive Jesus? And we're just sitting there like this with a dumbfound look during the headlights going, sure. Sometimes we just got to listen. And then we discern. Then we have to discern. Because a lot of times we think we know the answer already. So we're talking to someone and we walk up and we go, do you know what you need? I did an illustration last time I was here with this. Do you know what you need? Or what do you think you need? And right about the time they go to tell you, you go, you need Jesus. How many of you have ever seen that? You're on the streets and you're like, hey man, what do you really need right now? He may be fixing to tell you a Tylenol. You know what I mean? He's got a headache. And all of a sudden you're like, you need Jesus. And you just overrun him with that. No, you got to listen and discern. And after he's done talking, then you ask the Holy Spirit what to say, and then you respond. Does that make sense? Last thing with this, and I'm going to close. When I was going through all of this stuff, the Lord brought me into like this. How many of you in here have ever heard Psalms 23? Right, that's what you hear all the time. People go, Amen, Hallelujah, Psalms 23. But very, very few of us have ever went through verse by verse and just said, Lord, can you show me? Can you show me what to do? Can you show me what this verse means? So in this time that I was going through in what I call a crushing in a valley, I was going through all this stuff. In this time, the Lord told me to read Psalms 23. So I read the very first thing. It stumped me. I read... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A friend of mine had went through, I'm not even going to mention his name, but he had went through something kind of like what I had went through, only it was the passing of his son. And we had talks about the Psalms 23 thing, and he's like, no, I agree, you need to read it. But it stumped me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How do I get from Psalms 22 when it begins, God, don't forsake me. To Psalms 23, the very first verse, I shall never want again. How do I get from the tribulation to the visitation in Psalms 23? Listen, everybody in this room 
again. This may just be for me, and that's okay if it is. I'm all right with that. But part of Jesus the merciful is that Psalms 23 paradigm. One of the most famous poems that my grandmother had posted all over her house that I used to go, oh my gosh, Grandma, why is this everywhere? Was the footprints in the sand. And I never had a righteous understanding of it until what I just went through. If you haven't heard it before, I'm going to tell it to you real quick. And it may not be perfect word for word. But at the very end of it, or at the very beginning, it says, one night a man had a dream. He was walking on the beach with the Lord. And he noticed in the most troublesome times in his life, it seemed like there was only one set of footprints in the sand. So he asked the Lord. He said, Lord, why does it seem like in the darkest, most troublesome times in my life, in other words, when I'm going through the stuff, why is there only one set of footprints? Why would you leave me? Why would you abandon me? And he says, my precious, precious child, during the most troublesome times in your life, when there was only one set of footprints in the sand, it was because I'm carrying you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You fast forward down Psalms 23 a little bit, and he gets into talking about the rod and the staff, and a lot of people don't like going there, but I, I praise God for the rod and the staff. But then the very next verse, and this is to be encouraging to you this morning, because I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea. But I know that the Lord laid this on my heart to share what's been going on in my life. So I know there's people in here that have been going through some stuff. And it may be private. It may be things that you haven't even told anybody. Script, we read all throughout Scripture that we're to use the Word of God as a sword. And I believe that with all my heart. But I think also that the Lord is calling us to where we'll fight more with our forks too. I know it sounds funny. But he says he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He puts all of our enemies in front. And then he pours oil down our head. And I believe with all of my heart, he's looking at those enemies and he's going, this one's anointed. This one's mine. Do you hear what I am saying? This one is mine. And the enemies have no choice but to sit there. Because as He's anointing our heads with oil, we're using that fork, man, and we're feasting on the presence of our Papa. And He's fighting every battle for us. It got to a point in my life where I was ready to give up, and that was the time when He was carrying me. What about you this morning? Have you reached that point? Have you reached a point where you say, you know what? I just feel like I'm just coasting through life. I feel like I, I don't, I, I'm numb. It's okay to be that way. It's okay. It's not like there's anything wrong with you. We all go through the valley of the shadow of death. We all go through that season. But on the other side, he's waiting with a cup of oil. And he's got the table already set. So everybody, if you don't mind... Can we stand with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a minute? Listen, I am I'm an evangelist. So first and foremost, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm not saying have you said the prayer? I'm saying, has there ever been a time in your life where you have encountered Jesus and said yes to Him being the Lord of your heart? If there's anyone in here with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a second, if there's anybody in here that can say, you know what, I'm sitting here and I'm not sure. I, when I'm in church, I say yes, but when I walk out the door, I don't know. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if that's you this morning, I want you to slip your hand up real quick. If there's a doubt in your mind, I want you to slip your hand up. Amen. So the second question that I have, 
How many of you have just felt defeated lately? How many of you have, can relate to what I was going through? You've been upset. Maybe you've even been mad at God. It's okay. Today is your day. If that's you this morning, I want you to slip your hand up. It's okay. You can, everybody, put them up high. Put them up high. That's it. That's right. That's right. Bless you guys. You can put your hands down. I feel like this morning, look at me real quick. I feel like there's a huge table that's been set right here. Ooh, I feel the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you guys, I feel like there's a huge table that's been set right here. That it doesn't matter what darkness you've been going through, what suffering you've been going through, what has overshadowed you, that today He wants you to come sit at that table so He can tell your enemies, this one's mine. And anoint your head. I believe that with all my heart. This is how we fight our battles in His presence, with Him, belonging to Him, because He is our Papa. If that's you this morning, I want you to step out and come up here to this table right now. It's a spiritual table. You're not, everybody's looking for a table. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to come up here and I want you to talk to the Lord. If you raised your hand a minute ago that you've been going through darkness and you say, you know what? I'm at a point now where I need a heavenly visitation. I need Him. I need Him to come and pour oil over my head. I want you to come up front this morning. Listen, don't stand there when the Holy Spirit's moving. The Holy Spirit's moving right now. I want you to come up front. Don't stand by. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.